Um, well, it's nice here at Aldoria, and we're making good progress with uh, with the uh, publishing, especially of my my book, uh, the editing of that. Um, all three of us here, Vern Runyon, Gurdish, and I are working on it in different ways, and Haridas also, Radhana's husband, uh, partner, whatever. Uh, yeah. Um, and uh, so that's good. And uh, what else? Um, Chidahari's been here, he's living at Brahma's Inn. With just down the road from us and he's been working five days a week here there's just so much to do so uh, that's been very very helpful um, and um, bias here he's going to be here for a couple of more months and over the summer and um, that's our team at the moment so um, everything's good why don't we go ahead and take the questions Sure. Um, so Padmanabha Swami. Do I need to repeat that in English or no? It'd be hard to repeat it, but if the question is about something that Jagadananda, a godbrother of mine, has uh, written, I guess, recently somewhere. And uh, therein he says something to the effect that Iskan and Gaudiya Math um, are uh, do not uh, uh, carry. Okay, um, and institutions like Gaudiya Math and Iskan and its branches uh, are not possessed of the cultural authenticity of the original Gaudi of Vaishnavism. And he goes on to say that uh, these uh, sects uh, represent certain historical moments um, of uh, Vaishnavism, its surroundings and different times and circumstances. And they have their ethos, their prejudices, their cultural standards, and institutionalized forms and names, all of which are an extra shell on the cover of your bhakti. So the question is, could I comment on that? Um, first of all, uh, Jagadananda, for those of you who don't know, is a godbrother of mine. He was um, uh, initiated by Prabhupada. He was given the name Haranyagara Das. And after Prophet's departure, he took sannyas from another godmother of mine who was an Iskan guru at the time named Babananda. Babananda, unfortunately, um, uh, was able to uh, live up to the standards of spiritual leadership expected of him. So that was a disappointment. Jagadananda was serving uh, in the Guru Kula in Mayapur at the time. He had spent a lot of time Canadian by birth. And uh, one thing led to another after the departure of Prabhupada, he ended up um, coming in touch with Lalit Prashad, who was the godbrother of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And he took initiation from Lalit Prashad. And uh, he was at the time um, 
convinced by certain arguments uh, that were um, questioned the the Siddhanta. Um, he was he was moved by those arguments. After some years, he, however, was not able to keep up the standard of renunciation. He had become a Babaji, and um, and he flirted uh, seriously with the, the uh, Sahajya doctrines, the Prakrita Sahajya sects of of Braj. And uh, at a certain point, he uh, felt that uh, he had departed from the standard of uh, uh, commitment and whatnot um, expected of him by his, by uh, Lee Prashad and uh, so forth. And he, 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 he left uh, Mayapur and he went to, uh, ended up getting a doctorate in Sanskrit from Oxford University. And he was living in Canada with his wife and son. And after I wrote my, um, published my edition of Baba Anurad on the Tattva Sandarbha, one of my god brothers who was living with me at the time sent it out, the manuscript to different uh, scholars. He didn't tell me about that, but he had a list of scholars, Indologists and so forth. And uh, Jan Brzezinski was was one of them, which is the secular name of of, uh, Rani Garbo Jagadananda. And so he received the book and he was very inspired by it and he got in touch with me. So I invited him to come and spend time with me, which he did come and spend a week or 10 days with me. We talked and walked and talked and walked about um, all types of things. And I encouraged him to get more you know, involved in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And uh, he seemed inspired and he asked me, what name should I use, Hiranyagarbha or Jagadananda? So I told him to use the name, I suggested I should say, use the name Jagadananda uh, for different reasons. and. Um, and so he got very got back into the into the uh, the community, so to speak, actively. And he's quite a thinker and uh, a writer as well. And um, one thing led to another, and eventually he found himself where he's now, um, working with the Jiva Institute, founded by Satyanarayan Das Babaji, along with Navadweep Das, a good friend of mine. Um, as a team, the three of them, Satyanarayan, Das Babaji, Jabadananda, and Navadip Das, um, they're focused being primarily right now the Sandarbas, publishing the Sandarbas. So, a little history. Um, regarding the comments of Jagadananda, um, they seem fairly accurate. Um, I, I, I take exception to some of the words that are used here, um, and the implications of them, which I guess makes it less than accurate in my mind. He says, for example, that uh, Iskana Gaudiya Math are not possessed of the cultural authenticity of um, original Gaudiya Vaishnavism. I don't, I would take exception to the word authenticity. I think that they, uh, he goes on to say that they are um, um, represent certain historical moments in response um, to surroundings 
um, and, and uh, circumstances that previously didn't exist. So of course, obviously those, those circumstances are bringing Gaudiya Vaishnavism um, in touch with the modern world, which Bhaktivinoda Thakur did. Um, and, um, and then uh, around the world, which uh, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasthi Thakur started by sending some missionaries, if you will, to England and um, Germany and and then uh, my Guru Maharaj Omishnupad Esi Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada took further, as you know, around the world, North America, South America, Central America, Europe, uh, and, and, and so forth. Um, eventually, by extension, uh, through his disciples, uh, uh, Far East as well. Um, so those are unique circumstances. And it begins with Bhakti Vinod interfacing with uh, modernity and what the rest of the world was thinking, which was at his doorstep in, uh, in Calcutta, the, the headquarters at that time in India of the British um, Empire. So yes, uh, Iskan, Godimat, and Bhakti Vinod in particular uh, do uh, represent um, an adoption, ad adapting, Gaudiya Vaishnava is adapting to new circumstances. Um, I would say that um, that adaptation stands out uh, a bit more than earlier adaptations of, for example, in uh, uh, Manipur, uh, where Narakur went and had success in, in bringing, uh, uh, converting persons to, introducing persons to Gaudi Vaishnava. Whenever the money, Puri, can you hear me? Um, it seems like it's breaking up a little bit. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. It's just kind of like periodically breaking up. Like, like I can like kind of make out what you're saying. It's just breaking up some. Well, I'll do the best what, what I sure. can. Sure, yeah. But as, as I was saying, whenever the whenever I would be in, in, in Vrindavan and the Manipuri Vaishnavas would come for, uh, Manipuri Gaudiya Vaishnavas would come for pilgrimage, they had a distinct uh, cultural feel to them that uh, was representative of Gaudiya Vaishnavism being adapted into Manipuri culture. Obviously, the difference between Manipuri culture and Bengali culture is not as, as dramatic as the difference between Western cultural sensibilities and, um, and Indian cultural sensibilities. So I, I, I think that what um, Jagananda is talking about is the, the, the fact that Gaudiya Vaishnavism had a particular cultural ethos and so forth, but as it, but as it expanded out beyond uh, Bengal and Vrindavan, um, even to Puri, hmm, to some extent, uh, it would have, uh, it, it, it adapted a little bit, but beyond those uh, sacred uh, doms 
of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, you're going to find um, that it's uh, um, it uh, acclimates and adapts to the culture uh, that it's in uh, to some extent. But more dramatically, it will show up, as I'm saying, when when the adapt adaptation involves a whole entirely different cultural um, ethos and, and, and sensibilities. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what Bhakti Mnotakwa was, uh, was uh, one of the main things that he was interested in. And he asked Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsatakwa to do that. Um, so uh, I just, uh, when you say it's not possessed of the cultural authenticity, it, 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 uh, it does not lack the spiritual essence of um, Gaudi Vaishnavism. Now, some branches of ISKCON or Gaudi Math may lack the essence. That's another thing. But some branches of Bengali Vaishnavism in Bengal may also lack it. And... Uh, <laughs> And they may also adapt culturally to some extent um, to modern uh, times uh, in India today um, to include things that uh, you know uh, weren't include, included previously. So uh, um, yes, at any rate, Gaudiya Vaishnavism as represented by Iskon and Gaudiya Math following the lead of to interface Gaudi Bhattali. Um, but um, that's not necess does not necessarily imply that they depart uh, essentially in terms of the spiritual essence of the teaching. So um, um, that said, uh, I, he goes on to say here that um, that uh, which would include ours um, have their ethos, their prejudices, uh, naturally. Um, I don't think he's using these terms, prejudice, ethos, cultural standards, institutional forms and names in a pejorative sense mm -hmm. so uh, but when he says all of which are extra shell on the covering of pure body I, I don't uh, know exactly um, what he means there um, I um, uh, I wouldn't see them as an as an extra, uh, what did he call it? External shell, extra shell on the coverings, an extra shell on the coverings of pure bhakti. So what are the coverings of pure bhakti that they're an extra shell on top of? I really don't know what he means there, but I don't see them as superficial um, and I don't see them as, as being some type of a problem. Um, um, 
I think that the, for that matter, that the uh, cultural um, ethos around Gaudi Vaishnavism is obviously related to its essence, but can itself be seen as a little bit external to its essence at the same time. Um, so those are some of my my thoughts. I mean, just basically, obviously, yes, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, as represented by our Bhakti Vinod Paribar, is dealing with new times, new circumstances, different cultures, and so forth. And it's going to look a little bit different than um, um, some other expressions of it, but it lends itself to different um, expressions um, as long as those expressions don't uh, deviate in Siddhanta from the actual core teachings. And that's part of the teachings that while the Siddhanta, the philosophy is one, hmm, uh, non-different, singular, obeyed, it lends itself to bade or a differences in expression. So those differences in expression could be differences in expression within a different cultural uh, setting hmm, that adapts to that setting, which is what he's talking about. The differences of expression uh, of the same singular philosophy or Siddhanta could be differences in emphasis on different angas of bhakti, different limbs of bhakti. In the higher sense, they could be differences in terms of sentiment. Hmm? So you could have, for example, essential Gaudiya Vaishnavism uh, expressing itself in Sakyabhav. You could have it expressing itself in, in, in Madhuryabhav. Hmm? So those are differences that are that beautify the singular um, uh, uh, philosophy. It's a philosophy that lends itself to such varied expressions. And again, be they rasic, be they um, in terms of abhideya, the, the practice, details on the, on the practice. There's more than one way to look at the practice and apply oneself and so forth. Or going even further, towards the exterior, uh, cultural differences and sensibilities and so on and so forth. Those are my thoughts. I hope that helps. If you have any further comments on them, well, I welcome them. Gurudev, that reminds me of the story when the devotees were trying to enter some moth or something, and then there's some confusion in the language and, the devotee said, well, Hare Krishna. He said, oh, Hare Krishna, come on in. <laughs> he wouldn't let him in until he said Hare Krishna. Okay, good. What else? Another question? Um, Pranada? Yes, Hare Krishna. Good morning. Um, okay. Referring to a quote from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, um, and I think this is something that you sent me, so it has a little... Um, comment. Um, the Priyanarma Sakas are greater than the Surit Sakas and Priya Sakas because they have a special mood towards Krishna, that is, an absorption of Saki Baba, and are engaged in very intimate services like secretly assisting Krishna's sweethearts. And then the quote goes on, but the question is 
Um, so the special move they have toward Krishna is an abor- uh, absorption of Saki Baba. Now, Saki Baba, what I understand that is romantic feelings for Krishna of the Sakis, the gopis, female companions. So I'm, I'm just assuming that means that they their absorption is in wanting to render service to Krishna and the gopis in that Madhura Rasa. Um, but if there's something else that can be said about that, could you describe the Sakhi Baba of the Gopas? Yes. Thank you for the question. Uh, Sakhi Baba is a term that I think is used, not sure, by Rupa Goswami or in Ujjwal Nilmani or in the commentary on that by Jeeva Goswami, Sakhi Bhav. Um, the Bhav is more typically described as Priyanarmasaka uh, Bhav um, and Baba Vishesh, a very special type of Bhava uh, uh, within Sakyarasa that differentiates it to some extent from um, both Sakyarasa that is bundled together with Dasya or uh, Vatsalya or Sakyaras unto itself. And the difference, of course, is that these particular uh, gopas, they are aware um, and sensitive to the romantic feelings of Krishna. Mm-hmm. And so they have a desire for um, Madhurya Rasa um, in order to be able to participate um, in Krishna's romantic leelas. Now, that said, and relative to your question, there are different types of Madhurya Rasa. And the two principal types that Rupa Goswami outlines in Bhakti Rasa Bhutta Sindhu are uh, Madhurya Rasa of the Sambhog variety, where there are gopas, who want to have a romantic relationship with Krishna. And then there is the Tadanamodana or Tadbhav, which means they sympathize with, in our lineage, Radha's romantic desires for Krishna and see to a sister. So uh, among the two, he says the, the, the latter is preferable. And so we find um, um, some varieties of that where, for example, Lalita and Bishaka, who could be group leaders themselves, have their own entourage and have and pursue as a main focus romantic um, inter, uh, interaction and union with Krishna. Instead, they subjugate themselves to Radha and assist her. Hmm? Um, unlike, for example, Chandravali or others who, in effect, are uh, competitors of Radha for union with Krishna. Now, among those in, in Radha's group, like Lalita and Vishaka, they may have re- romantic relationship with Krishna directly at times, um, in a, which in a, in a way that um, 
Radha wants them to, for example, um, they then have Priyasakis or direct assistants under them who also may, as a secondary part of their um, their bhava, their madhurya bhava, have relationship with Krishna. And then there are the manjaris, hmm, who uh, are particularly, uh, typically characterized as not um, having or even desiring and avoiding at all costs a direct uh, romantic relationship with Krishna due to their extreme radhadasyam, extreme commitment to the service of Radha. Mm-hmm. So this is the type of, of Madhurya Rasa that's emphasized and uh, uh, the window to which has been opened to persons through Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So when it comes to Sakirasa mm-hmm. and the Priyanarmasakas and their liking for Madhurya Rasa, um, this is the type of Madhurya Rasa that they then become influenced by. Tadanumodana. Anumodana means sympathetic or empathetic. Mm-hmm. So they, they don't want to have, they're not interested in a direct, obviously, romantic relationship with Krishna. They're interested in the romantic relationship of the gopis with Krishna. And they will have their own group leader amongst the gopas, and they will have a Yuteshwari or a female group leader also amongst the gopis. Hmm? And, um, and it, through that service to the gopis, they, they, you know, they become familiar with the romantic sentiments of Krishna. So you have like Subal, he's a servant of Radha, and he's a friend of Krishna. Hmm? And he participates um, in the romantic life of Radha and Krishna with great sympathy and empathy for the plight of the uh, uh, divine couple. And uh, he risks his life even that they, that they might be um, um, united uh, as per their desires in the middle of the day in broad daylight, which seems impossible, going to such extremes as, you know, sneaking into uh, Yavat and Jatila's home where Radha is, is living and uh, uh, in, the, in the Subal Milan, Leela exchanging clothes with her. She goes to meet Krishna. He's left, it, left in, in the compound, dressed like Radha, having to mill around Jatila and pretend that he's Radha. He's risking his, his life, so to speak, uh, for their union. Hmm? So it's, a, it's an extreme example. But um, um, this is then, the, again, the type of Madhurasa that they're influenced by. And um, Rupa Goswami points out in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu that one situated in a particular rasa may have an affinity for another rasa, hmm? which is compatible. Some rasas are not, all rasas are not compatible with one another. And a little bit of common sense uh, bears that out. Um, Rupa Goswami gives a list of compatible and incompatible rasas and says, and there are others in you know, use your common sense to see why this wouldn't be compatible with another and so forth. But um, um, when one situated in a particular rasa has a desire for appreciation of another rasa that is compatible, 
that other rasa becomes a subordinate influence on one's own rasa. The, one's own rasa in this case is called the, the angi rasa. Angi means the body. And the other rasa that one becomes attracted to then becomes an anga or a limb of that. Its purpose is to um, nourish the anga rasa. So the purpose then of the gopas in terms of their desire for madhurya rasa is that that madhurya rasa will enhance their sakya rasa and as such enable them to to be a friend carry on with their friendly relationship with krishna at times when he's really taken by his love for the gopis and for Radha in particular and be be capable of assisting him in that in ways that other gopas don't have that interest and don't have the capacity you know to to uh, uh, assist him in 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 um, times of his need and so forth so they're they're typically characterized these these um, sakas one of their anubhavs for example that is particular to their type of babas, whispering in the ears, changing messages with the gopis. And so you're not going to find the other cowherd boys um, doing that. So they're a particular type of cowherd boy. They're kind of like, uh, you know, the, uh, they're, they're males that have some, uh, they're well-balanced. They have some female sensibilities to them also, uh, if, you, if you will. They're not like just an alpha male, if, if you will, um, uh, to talk about it in a limited way from a modern psychological uh, point of view. But, um, but um, interestingly, um, while any of the Rasas or any one in the particular Rasa may be attracted for some time uh, to another rasa that's, that is, that is uh, favorable or compatible, that is something that's temporary. Therefore, when, the, when another rasa becomes an anga of the angi, the staibab, the, the, the rasa that defines a devotee, typically that occurs for a short period of time. Therefore, it's compared that angirasa, that angirasa, to a sanchari bab because sanchari bobs come and go, come and go in terms of their influence. That's what the very the word sanchari actually means. Let's say transitory. Um, but here they're termed differently because these are actually sentiments, be they primary or secondary uh, rasas. Which means that that they're 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 not sancharis. Sanchari bobs typically do not have the capacity to define a person, if you will. Hmm? So, um, but they function uh, in this way to some extent, like sanchari bobs. But the unique thing, of course, about the priyanarmasakas is that this isn't happening temporarily because they're fine-tuned to their friend Krishna and, of course, to Balaram as well. Uh, like the other sakas, um, and from a tattva point of view, the two are 
are, are one, they're like twins. But from an emotional point of view, they're, they're a little different. And so they're, they're fine-tuned with Krishna's emotional uh, and romantic sensibilities. And those sensibilities are always there in his heart. Sometimes they come out more hmm, than at other times. And sometimes they come out and they actually play themselves out in the context of the Leela. And those Dharmasakas are there then and participating in that. And when in the midst of um, Leela's where that cannot come out and it's still there, they are uh, so fine-tuned you know, to it, to Krishna's heart in that regard, that they can pick up when he's, his mind is drifting in that direction. Hmm? Um, they can read um, his, his mind, so to speak, with regard to his romantic sensibilities. And, and so even in circumstances where Krishna's not, able, Krishna's not able to play out his romantic life in the presence of the gopis, his heart is still beating for Radha, and they're aware of it. So the point I'm making is that, is that we find no instance in which those Narmasakas are not influenced by the Angarasa of Madhurya, of the Tadanamodan type, which means sympathetic, empathetic, supportive hmm, feelings for Radha and Krishna's um, uh, romantic life, supportive feelings that play out in actual um, acts that, um, uh, in some instances, um, bring about the union, mitigating, for example, the man, uh, the jealousy of Radha to, to bring the two back together, or uh, being, as I said earlier, like in the cases of all active and the intrigues that um, uh, Radha's married life, uh, the obstacles that a married life brings up and helping Radha and Krishna overcome them and so forth. So this is, this is their Sakibhav, if you will. And at times it'll be more prominent than other times, but, um, but it's, it's always there. Therefore, it defines them. They are not Priyasakas who are in purely Sakiras that sometimes influenced by this Madhurya Ras and sometimes not. They're a distinct group. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what distinguishes them. Therefore, their Bob is, is not some cool, which means a packaging together of Sakya with Dasya or with, with, uh, with Vatsalya, um, making for a younger brother. Or, 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 or an older friend, nor, nor is their bhav just cable, pure sakirasa unto itself, like Sridham, Sudam, and so forth. It's that and more, hmm? that more being the influence of Madhurya Rasa, which causes Jiva Goswami and other theologians and Gaudiya Vaishnavism to characterize it as a particular bhav unto itself. Hmm? So again, while other rasas may be influenced by another compatible rasa for some time, hmm, and then not, and so forth, they're always influenced by this. So they're unique in the kingdom of of rasa. Hmm. Does that help? Yes, and so so when you use the term Saki Baba, that can refer to the Narmasakas and the Manjaris? 
Well, Saki is a, Saki means Saki means friend. Oh, yeah, right. It doesn't even it doesn't it doesn't it's not necessarily referring to a feminine friend either. Okay, I, I was that's what I was taking it as feminine. Okay. Well, it is being used in that context there. Uh, in that context, whether it's Rupa Goswami, I believe, or maybe Jiva Goswami, refers to the Masaki Bob. What he's saying is what I've just explained to you. That's what he means by Saki Bob, that they're in Saki Rasa, but influenced by Madhuri Rasa in, uh, of, of the empathetic or sympathetic um, variety and are thus um, suitable capable of participating in the romantic affairs. And in that, under that influence, when it's very prominent, then they have no attraction themselves to the gopis. Hmm? So their male sensibilities tend to be subdued hmm? um, in, in, in that regard, at least, um, in, 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 in such uh, uh, instances. Otherwise, they're full-on Krishna's friends, and they may wrestle with Krishna. And, uh, and, and, and uh, herd cows with him, and so on and so forth. Do the Narmasakas tend to be younger? Like that Subal is like 12 and a half years old, or they uh, get up to 16 years old? They're, they're described as, as more or less the same age as Krishna, maybe a little younger, but they're, they're, they're not like you have cowherd friends of Krishna that are a little older than Krishna and a little younger. Mm-hmm. And the older ones are influenced also by Vatsali Rasa and the younger ones by Dasi Rasa. The Priyanarmasak is maybe a year younger or something like that, um, but they are um, uh, not like those influenced by Dasi Rasa because they're mature for their age. Mm-hmm. So you know, in the Prakat Leela, in the Manifest Leela, Krishna becomes a Kishore at the age of seven. At the age of seven, he, he begins the Vastraharana Leela, stealing the gopi's clothes. Um, the following year, in the same, in the month of Kartik, that took place in the, in the month after Kartik, then the following year, he's eight years old, becomes eight in August, so come October, Kartik, he's eight years old. He's in the Rasalila. Hmm? He leaves Vrindavan in his 11th year as a Kishore. He, he, he's been a Kishore from seven to 11, but he is mature like a 16-year-old. Hmm? So he has the sensibilities of the 16 year So they will have the same. They are in the, the, the Dharma Sakas. Uh, they will go through the same similar uh, development, and they will have um, um, they're you know more or less the same age. I think maybe some balls a year younger or something like that. So it's not like Krishna is sixteen, twelve. I don't know if you heard that. It's not like Krishna is sixteen and they're only twelve or something like. Does that help? Yes, thank Hello? you. Yes, thank you. Hello. Okay, and all these things I've played out in great detail in in my forthcoming uh, book. Um, so, do we have any date for that forthcoming book? This year. Hadi, hadi. 
Okay. <laughs> 2021. Anything else? Is there a third question? Um, yeah, Kishore has a question. Pranam's Gurmaj. Um, so we've been reading the Bhagavad Gita here and at the beginning of the fifth chapter, Arjun asks, which is better, sannyas or karma yoga? And I'm wondering if this question and the following answers can be understood in the context of bhakti, that is those engaged in preaching or service versus those engaged in uh, Nirjan Bhajan and a couple of verses following in connection to that. Um, Krishna says, childish persons, not the learned, declare that contemplative life and selfless action are separate. One who practices either of these correctly achieves the same result. That destination attained by the contemplatives is also attained by the yogis. Contemplative life and karma yoga are one. One who perceives this sees things as they are. Yeah, you broke up a little bit. I think I understand your question. Your question is that Krishna in the Gita is speaking about Nishkam karma and jnana. And he advocates Nishkam karma over jnana in terms of um, uh, avoiding artificially taking up contemplative life when one is not yet qualified. And so that's a, that's a bigger problem, um, he says. Um, and therefore, better to do Nishkam karma, which is to continue to work within the realm of uh, uh, the Vedic karmic uh, duties and sensibilities, but without attachment for the results. And at the heart uh, here is the lack of detachment. So if I'm doing activities, which I'm already like, have momentum for, hmm, but I learn to do them without attachment for them, then they're not accruing any reaction, but the momentum that my life has at the moment it enables them to play out hmm? and rather than cutting them off and sitting down hmm? because my, I have a certain momentum, I may be attracted back to them. I may be drawn back to them hmm? and temple could be a problem. So it's kind of a nishkam karma is going to be to move in the direction of contemplative life. So your question is, does this apply, if I understand it correctly, in bhakti, in terms of nirjan bhajan or solitary bhajan, which would be contemplative life to, to an extreme, and let's say uh, the, the, the life of, uh, of indicant paribrajak, who's uh, uh, preaching, teaching, and is act more active in the, in, in, in the world, but without attachment to the world? And the answer to your question, I think, is yes. And uh, this was uh, uh, this of Bhakti Siddhanta. There's a, there's a famous poem about him uh, composed by Pujapad Sridhar answer poem. It was very popular. Disciples of Bhaktisiddhanta sent that uh, it's sung in all of the all of the Gaudiya temples, 
every day for the most part. And in, and in some places, verses, verses, some of the verses are engraved in stone on the walls in those temples. And in that poem, one of the lines that, very, that really kind of, kind of captures Bhakti Siddhanta, uh, he says, Paramhamsa varam paramartha patim he is the is a Paramhamsa Bhakti Siddhanta, but he dressed himself as a Parivrajak. So this is this refers to the four stages of sannyas: you know, uh, Bahudak, Kudichak, Bahudak, Parivrajak, and Hamsa. Um, so the, the, the forget the first two stages for the moment, but the third stage is Parivrajak, where the sannyasi is no longer staying in the village and um, that he, that he they're in the early stages, Kudachuk and Bahudak, he'll stay in the village. Um, he'll stay in the village and relatives will bring food. And so there's a, there's, there's, then, then he'll stay in the village and they won't bring food. And then he'll leave the village and travel and have no, and be homeless, right? Uh, so his, his, his detachment has grown, has developed so that he can do that. And, um, and so, uh, and then the last stage is Hamsa, where he sits down and, uh, and wherever he sits becomes a holy place. Um, and people come there and they develop detachment just by, by coming there. Uh, so um, while he, Pujapadshidamarsh, depicts Bhakti Siddhanta as a Param Hamsa, which he was, he sat down to chant a billion names, of the Lord, and then he got inspiration from that to get up and dress himself as a paribhajak and, and travel and preach and show a way in which persons could be more involved actively with their senses hmm, um, in the world, but not of the world. And as a result, hmm, um, come to a point where they could actually sit and do bhajan, like Harida Stakor. Um, to give an example, once one of my godbrothers who had taken sannyas from Prabhupada, his name was Guru Kripa Maharaj, he asked Prabhupada if he could just sit in Mayapur and chant. And Prabhupada said, yes, try it. So he sat in a, in a, in a, in a grass hut and he chanted. And he was chanting a, a couple of lakhs a day. And uh, and then somebody, once a day, someone would bring food. We wouldn't put it at the door. And then he would, you know, open the door, take his meal, and and um, that's how he was living. But he reported uh, to Prabhupada that, uh, that uh, or he told me that after a couple of weeks, he found his mind starting to think, are they going to bring that same doll again? I wish they could bring a samosa. Uh, and uh, this started to get in the way of his, his um, concentration. It's a capacity to focus in non-bhajan, and then it, you know, developed further from there, uh, desires and so forth, that, that he wasn't effectively able to um, cleanse away by uh, adopting the posture of a nirjan, uh, of nirjan bhajan, solitary bhajan. Hmm? And so he got up from there. And he told Prabhupada, and Prabhupada said, so go and preach for 10 years, then come back and try again. Hmm? So I think that answers your question, no? Yes, it does. Thank you. And would you see this section where Krishna says, 
these two are one. Um, those that see them as separate are ignorant. Would you see this as support that yeah. the Goshtiyanandis and Bhajanandis are, are one in essence? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that Goshtiyanandi um, means, you know, refers to the kind of the preacher and Bhajanandi means the solitary person. Um, there's another sense in which those terms uh, could be used uh, in, in that a perfect devotee could be have a penchant more for that preaching than 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 solitary bhajan. But anyway, yeah, uh, they're one. Um, and but we're talking more of one as a means, you know, to the to the other. Mm-hmm. And um, in that sense, they're they're not they're one in essence. They're still uh, uh, different because one in your gen budget could get up and preach, but one in 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 uh, the party budget, you know, kind of mode, as we as we're explaining, couldn't necessarily sit down and just do near gen budget. So we're talking about it like that. But in essence, they're doing the same thing and living without attachment, developing attachment for Krishna. Now, I should also mention that I think that in the vision of Bhakti Siddhanta, this just didn't mean everybody should be a sannyasi and travel and preach and so forth, but he, you know, created monasteries that were active and they were beehives for serving Krishna and and, and um, extending the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu further. And so some people were pujaris there some people were managing the temple some people were gardeners and so on and so forth and they were you know fully engaged in in service in the monastery to the deity in the temple and so forth rather than just sitting and doing bhajan and amongst them some were preachers also and giving classes and and so on and so forth so all of that if you will is kind of like a parallel you know within the bhakti marg to um, the idea of dunishkam karma, you know, rather than prematurely um, taking up the the, 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 the marg. And we see this in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself. So Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took sannyas, he traveled, he preached, he, 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 he taught Rupa Sanatan, and, and he converted uh, Prakashananda and Sarvabhuma Bhattacharya, Venkata Bhatta, uh, and so on and so forth. And he did this for quite a few years until as a result of that, um, his inner life swelled to such an extent that he, that he could no longer be a public figure. Um, and he enters into his, his auntie Leela. Mm-hmm. And so in, in Chaitanya Jaratamrita, as I've said before, he's really focused on the Madhya Leela which is the way and where all the teachings come. And so for the way to enter into this bhava, you don't practice kind of bhava. <laughs> you, you do things such that bhava will, you engage inside of the bhava such, with such intensity that, that bhava will come. And then it's, 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 it, it is its own teacher. We can learn some things about, obviously we should, about bhava bhakti and so forth. We should have an, an idea about the um, ideal, the Baba Deha, and so forth. But Baba is its own 
its own teacher. So I hope that helps. I see another question from Martin here. He says, Haribo Maharaj, chapter 2, verse 56 of your commentary in the Gita, it says, when God desires to take his devotees from the world, no longer able to bear the pain of separation from him, he distributes his devotees, pious parabdha, to those who love him, and any impious parabdha karma to those who oppose him. Can you share some words about this? This is uh, the, the vision and the insight of um, Baladev Vijabhusana in his Govinda Bhashya's commentary on Vedanta Sutra. Um, so, Prabhda karma is karma that is already playing itself out. You have karma that is, that is, you know, that is, that is, it's not yet accrued or not yet manifest, but is waiting to manifest and in different stages of that also. Um, just like, let's say you have um, arrows in your, what do they call it? A quiver or something. And then you have an arrow on the bow, ready to shoot. And then you have an arrow that's already shooting. So the Prabhda karma is the arrow. It's already been shot. <laughs> How are you going to bring it back? It's already been shot. The ones that are in the bow could be put back into the quiver. The ones that are in the quiver could be, the quiver could be taken off. So there's a way to get rid of this karma that has not yet accrued, that has not matured. And the way to do that is through, well, transcendental knowledge, for example. By Gyan, and the culture of that, it's, that's possible. But by Gyan, you cannot re remove the Parabdha karma. But the specialty and the power of Bhakti is that it can remove the Parabdha karma. So you're going to ask, well, how are you going to remove the karma? How are you going to take that arrow that's already been shot and bring it back? I'll give another example. There may be things that you can do to prevent a cold from manifesting, I mean, once you get a cold, well, there's nothing you can do. You can deal with the symptoms to try to suppress them so it's less miserable, but you just you have to wait a few days for it to pass. It's already happened. So now the statement in the scriptures is that Prabhda karma can be done away with by bhakti. So how does that happen? So Baldev gives an example. The Prabhda karma is taken and the good karma is given to his, his relatives or friends or what not in the bad karma is given to his enemies. Hmm? That's a way of uh, explaining how the Prabhu karma is uh, dispersed and, and one is relieved from it by the power of bhakti. And in its place, of course, then uh, the devotee is given shobhana karma. Shobhana means beautiful. It means something arranged, arranged by Krishna. Hmm. And it may take different courses, even. Bharat Maharaj, who became a mendicant, gave up the, the, um, his royal position as the emperor of India or of Bharat, um, in his life in the forest, became attracted to a, to a deer. You know the story, it's in the fifth canon of the Bhagavatam. That is said to be an arrangement of Krishna, Shobhana Karma. 
through which, by which, through which Krishna used Bharat, who was in bhava, which means he wouldn't have any karma, material karma. Krishna used him to teach us by his by his example, not to get attached. Uh, it has far-reaching implications. So uh, give a brief answer here to you. I hope that's helpful, but uh, brief because we're already a little bit over time. So um, I hope I did justice to the questions. You told me we only had three. We got yeah, four. that's um, good. So, and it gave me a chance to go in similar, a little more depth. I hope uh, that uh, it's been helpful to those who asked and those who are sure. listening. Jai. Thank you. Thank you.